Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. We're excited to welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests, the Forrest Gump of volleyball himself, Joe Trinzi. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Been loving some of the recent episodes. I've been uh, following along like I'm sure all the other listeners have and uh, excited to get to participate now. So, John, why is he the Forrest Gump? Can you explain that? I don't know. Didn't we talk about that last time or was it the most interesting man in the world? Uh, Why is he the Forrest Gump? Because he's I guess he's he's been everywhere, coached every level. Um. If Forrest Gump isn't right, like I was gonna say, I wanted you to clarify that because that could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like we just said it last time, and it's funny. What you know, I what labeled you... my you know, I labeled myself the Forrest Gump of volleyball. Yeah, and Forrest Gump was just this kind of guy from wherever who ended up being lucky enough to to Being cross paths, you know, cross paths with all these different things and um some amazing people. That's kind of the whole thing about Forrest Gump, right? Like he crosses somehow crosses paths with all these really important. Uh, cultural people and I feel like I've had the opportunity to do the same thing you know I'm just a guy from Delaware played division three volleyball and uh, you know somehow I've been able to participate uh, three different national teams now I get to be on coach your coach your brains out talking talking to uh, you know some of the smartest guys in volleyball I get you know I just had some really cool opportunities that somehow volleyball has taken me across so I kind of never just stopped being a guy from Delaware who uh, you know maybe ran through the practice field at Alabama you know I don't know (laughs) made it to the white house and saved above yeah been to vietnam yeah i think I, i'll we'll stay with it forest Gump volleyball but yeah thanks for following along with us and uh, you know i've been following along with your smarter volley blog i know you just had a one-year anniversary which is a big deal to i think you've done around three posts a week and that's a lot of work and a lot of words and a lot of writing and you know I've, I, like i said i've been an avid reader i'm a paid subscriber i think anyone who's wants to be a better coach should be uh, Billy's pretty cheap. I'm not sure if he is, but anybody else should be. So Joe, what's your pitch uh, from going to someone from just a reader to a subscriber? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the main, the main pitch is some of the more interactive stuff. So I do like the mailbags that are kind of subscriber only. And then also uh, pretty, pretty regularly, generally like at least once a month, we do kind of just like a small group session where I either have a guest on or I have a particular topic that I'm presenting where coaches then kind of get to come on and uh, sort of listen to the presentation, but then also ask their own questions and kind of try to have that access. Um, so that's my pitch. And then, you know, also just about, you know, support the Chipotle habit. 
you know, a little, <laughs> little bit extra here or there always helps, helps me keep it along, but no, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, last time we, last time it was on, it was actually almost exactly a year ago. Yep. And what I did was I kind of went off grid in October and just kind of spent the whole month of October just writing. And it's like originally this, the content that's on Smarter Volley, I, I visualized it as a book, sort of a training manual that was statistically backed. So basically trying to take, hey, here's the evidence that I know about volleyball. Here's how these different factors affect your uh, ability to win and lose volleyball games. And then, okay, here are what I believe is the kind of corresponding uh, training principles that link up with that. And um, basically I just, you know, so I almost wrote almost the whole year's worth um, in that October and then kind of just continued and wrote some topical stuff as the year went on. And kind of my goal was, Hey, let's just kind of see how it goes throughout the year. Like if I get enough of a subscriber following to make it worthwhile, okay, I'll spin it back for year two and, and flesh out some new stuff and some new topics to explore. And, and uh, fortunately I was able to do that. So we've got a pretty good amount of, of subscribers, you know, and uh, enough, enough to, uh, to run it back for a second year. So I've kind of been doing the same thing, actually. I wasn't completely off the grid, but uh, yeah, after coaching in the recent world championships, I was over on the men's side of the game. So I was coaching in the um, the men's world championships. That was recently in Slovenia and Poland. And uh, since, again, uh, sort of in Forrest Gump style, my, my wife and I are basically homeless, wife and I and daughter. Um, so we decided, hey, okay, might as well just stay in Europe. So we just stay in Europe for like another couple of months. And I didn't go completely off grid, but but pretty close to it and was just writing. And uh and it's good also just doing it in this format because unlike Billy, where he actually has to like proofread his work and make sure his writing's actually good, you know, I just kind of spew out enough volleyball related info and then I can just, you know, have the advantage of like throwing some pictures in there and some video clips. Um, so uh, I'm sure there's like uh, three typos in every in every article, but I, I try to catch most of them at least. And uh, so, you know, my, the quality might not be good as some of Billy's stuff, but at least I make it up with quantity. No, the quality is good. It's entertaining. Billy, what do you think of doing the the blog post? Like, what if Joe had done a book? Or I was definitely envious. Um, I think, you know, a common thing is to do a bunch of blog posts and then turn it into a book, which Joe can still do, um, obviously. But I think, Joe, you posted uh, some of the advantages of doing a monthly subscription versus, you know, how much people would spend on one book, uh, which makes a lot of sense to me. And hopefully it's been worth it and you've earned a lot of Chipotle. Yeah, you you know what, Billy? I actually think for your fiction writing and just hopefully all the listeners, I, I don't know how many listeners are, you know, fantasy adventure fans, but certainly I have, you know, and I've I've read your your book, your series there. And uh, there's actually, Billy, I don't even know if you know this, there's actually a fair amount of fiction writers who are doing stuff on Substack where they will maybe release a chapter a month or however, you know, some sort of schedule like that. Or sometimes they will put some posts on there with like, little short story backstories or something like that. So whenever the, you know, if there's a, if there's a continuation, you know, to the, to the dark blood series and you put, you put it up there, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to subscribe for sure. Awesome. I'm going to look into it. I just have to take Love October it. off. There <laughs> you go. That's the key. That's the key offline October. Yeah. Everyone should do it. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned Canada. I wanted to just hear about that, hear about your experience when you were with the men's team all summer and then, at the was the the world championships in europe um curious what you learned from being a part of that team and assisting with that program and what some of your takeaways were yeah so uh the biggest takeaway that i had was i think it was the first losing season that i've ever coached um it had to be someone somewhere but i think so you know i used to go to these gold medal squared clinics and carl would present them and and early in the clinic he would say hey you know because he related 
starting the BYU program in their first year going two and 27 or, or whatever it was like that in their first year. And he says, you know, I, I hope you all have a two and 27 season because it would make you a lot better coach. And so that was, uh, that was kind of my experience with Canada. You know, it's a different experience than for example, the USA national team were coming in and being, you know, ranked somewhere one, two in the world, uh, whatever it is when it was the USA women, you know, Hey, we were ranked come, come in the season ranked, uh, what was it 14 in the world? And there's only 16 teams in nations league. Mm. So it's like, you're, you're scrapping to try to get any win you can. And, uh, it was a, it was a big turning over, you know, so the majority of the Olympic roster was, was not back either due to retirement or injury. So, uh, you, you know, a new roster, but of course it's professional sports. So there's all teams have new rosters and injuries and turnovers. That's, that's the nature of Olympic sports. Um, so it was, and then especially, I think a lot of coaches programs, are kind of feeling the effect of, of this year being that it was the first year of the quad, but also in some ways the second year, because with the Olympics being postponed for a year, mm-hmm. this sort of being the first year of a new quad, but also the world championships year. So in ordinarily you kind of have that first year, like for example, when I was with USA women in 2013, there was no real event that year. So yeah, of course you want to win, you want to do well, et cetera, et cetera. But we almost had a year and change to get new systems in place, whatever systems you know, some of the stuff that Karch was changing when he took over from Hugh, for example, and incorporating new players, some players phased out, some players were coming on board and uh, felt like we didn't really hit our stride until mid 2014. And then of course we won the 2014 world championships. So uh, there was definitely a lot more pressure to win faster. The nation's league schedule is pretty crazy format playing four matches in a week. And with the, with the ranking system, teams need to win every match. You know, like every match is kind of critical because it affects your world ranking. Um, so that was just a that was just a, a huge challenge in trying to accelerate the learning, and you know we didn't do it as well as we could have. I mean, for sure. Um, so that was uh, you know that was a real challenge with that. And um, I mean, you look back, oh man, there's like ten things I would have done differently, but definitely a lot of things would have done the same. Yeah, what would be one thing you would have done differently that you think would have made an impact? Yeah, I think the, the main thing to that we would have done differently is tried to have maybe, a, I don't even know if this sounds exactly right, but a shorter evaluation period mm-hmm. and then a faster forming of the core team. Mm-hmm. I think that's always one of the trade-offs that we try to make as coaches, right? Like if you want to make your best evaluation, you keep everybody around for longer, right? You just, as many people in the gym, you, you have things be as even as possible. You have things be as balanced as possible give everybody as much opportunity because we know, and Hey, you just had a, a recent podcast on, I think was, uh, uh, Dr. Baker on was talking about hey, talent, talent identification is hard. Yeah. But however, we also know that, uh, you get more reps, gets you better, faster. So you need reps to get better and the best reps because none of practice can truly replicate the match. The best reps is in the match. The best reps, you know, when your core group can come together, when you can dial in your systems. So that's like the trade-off is like the, the more you focus on evaluation, the less, the, the slower your core group will come together. So because we needed to be better faster, we probably needed to accelerate that timeline. Hmm. Well, sounds like some good learning. Uh, hope I'm sure you'll have more situations where you're parts of national teams and yeah, can take a lot of the lessons you took. Um, I'm sure there's lots of success too. I, I know the record doesn't always say all the learning that did happen and all the things that you did contribute. But- you know, we also had like the craziest travel day. So I kind of learned that, you know, there's all these just 
with, I think the, the COVID and, and supply and labor shortages and all this crazy stuff. Like I know traveling has been crazy for a lot of people. And we had like a 70 some hour travel. Cause you know, we're going from, from Ottawa to, to Bulgaria for nations league and uh, you know, whatever we're trying to fly on. We got a match on Tuesday and I don't know, our plan. Okay. We're trying to fly on a, a Thursday maybe. So, and you're going to Europe. So you should kind of do the red eye. So Thursday we'll get in Friday. We'll play Tuesday. Okay. Everything's good. We got our flight got canceled on Thursday. So then we had to drive to there and our flight got canceled on Friday. So we didn't fly until Saturday. So basically we wind up not getting to Bulgaria until Monday morning for a Tuesday match. And we had left our uh, training center on Thursday. We didn't get in Bulgaria until Monday morning, played on Tuesday. Uh-huh. And then the guys, uh, and that was a critical match for us because it gets Australia. One of them, a team that was beatable for us. And we, you know, we did manage to beat them. So it was like the guys, like it also kind of just showed me like, you know, we try to optimize everything, of course, kind of sports science, okay, optimize our rest and optimize our nutrition and all this. And uh, sometimes there's just no replacement for, for kind of the guts of the athlete. And th- those guys are just basically, it's like four days being in an airport, eating whatever and sleeping like crap and all this. And they just, they just gutted it out and, and won a match that we had to win. So it's kind of also kind of showed me when the, when the chips are down, uh, you, you know, kind of the, the guts of, of the athletes that we all yeah. that we all love for it. So you know, what you could do is you too. should make every indoor player play at least a season of beach volleyball, so they have to deal because that's just like as a beach volleyball player, you know, you don't have a, an organization scheduling all your stuff and making sure you get in and you know that sort of stuff's just like par for the course. Yeah, and then they'd they'd be ready for anything on juniors, and I, I think you're you're going to spend the whole month on juniors volleyball, which I'm sure a lot of people be following along and. One of the things this wasn't it was a little bit related to juniors, but you made a comment about momentum and how I think you were expressing that it doesn't exist at the college or professional level and it might at the juniors. But that seems like for a lot of people, I hear coaches all the time talking about the importance of momentum and being able to stop momentum. Uh, can you can you go into your your thoughts and beliefs on momentum? Yeah. So just to kind of quickly kind of outline it. Yeah. On the. Uh, November, I'm really focusing a lot on juniors volleyball. And I think that there's some uh, correlations that we can uh, draw to, to, to other things. I think a lot of times we can learn from kind of trends and arcs. So if you see something getting progressively higher as you go up in level, okay, that's kind of an indication. Okay, this is this is important because it's we're doing less of it at lower levels, more of it at higher levels, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, kind of the, this project is I watched just a whole bunch of matches from uh, sort of the uh, end of nationals in a whole bunch of different years. Okay. So just like I've been doing with NCAA or, or professional volleyball, okay. Dive into some juniors video, um, and, uh, access that. And I want to say, okay, what is some of these statistical metrics look like at 13 and under, what do they look like at 15 under one and 17 and under, and okay, what are some trends? What are some things that are similar to maybe the higher levels? What are some things that are different? One of the things that was just kind of interesting was the margin for victory is, uh, higher, at 13 and under than it is, for example, in the NCAA. If you look at NCAA, like if you look at the NCAA Final Four, you're going to see a narrower margin of victory than if you look at semifinals and on 13 and under volleyball. And that's not even, uh, many of these matches are going to three. You know, you play best of three, you know, in these juniors tournaments, uh, not best of five. And uh, many of these matches are going to three. It's it's pretty common for it to see one team win 25-18 and then see the other team win 25-18. Not that that never happens at higher levels, but it happens less. Um, and so I was kind of saying, okay, this idea of momentum and momentum is something that we know, I don't want to say we know doesn't exist at professional volleyball, but it's, uh, it's hard to find, you know, um, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, 
but uh, it's uh, certainly kind of an indication. Uh, some of this idea of the hot hand, maybe there's some little effects here or there. Uh, probably, probably not that big of a deal in terms of momentum at the higher levels. But if one team is going to win 25-19, but then the other team can win, turn around and win 25-19 as an average margin of victory, that meaning quite a few of uh, those are blowouts more than that. Once you talk, talk about 25-16, that's that's would be considered a, a blowout in you know, in indoor volleyball, when you look at scoring uh, less than 60% of the points. Um, so maybe let's replace the concept of momentum with, we say, variability. I think that would be uncontroversial to say that 13 and under volleyball has more variability than elite volleyball. Or, as sometimes I like to kind of say is, we look at elite players, they create variability. Beginning players, variability happens to them. So, hey, when we look at elite servers, we uh, when we look at beginning servers. There's a ton of variability there, but it's almost ex- all accidental variability. Well, the ball hit this side of the hand, then the ball hits that side of the hand. They toss it too low, and then they toss it too high, and one goes in the net, one goes, you know, twenty feet out the back. Advanced servers, they're creating that variability. They hit that ball that goes on one sideline, then they cut it straight up the middle. They hit one deep, they drop one short on purpose. So um, it just kind of stood out to me that when we go at a lower level. And also this is 13 and under national. So these are not like, I mean, the beginning players, if you can compare them to the Olympics, but most coaches who coach club volleyball would love to have a 13 and under team that was good enough to make nationals. You know what I mean? Like, or, or to make like the, the national championships, like yeah, at nationals, not just make nationals, but could compete for a medal. And, uh, but even so we still see a lot of variability there. And it just kind of makes me think that a big part of our job in coaching younger players is, helping maybe reduce variability and then also to master it. Okay. Like how do we create variability for the other team and how do we manage the variability that's inevitably going to happen with our team? So just to use maybe one of the simplest examples that, I mean, this is a, a, a podcast sponsored by gold Metal squared. So a lot of people here are going to be familiar with the idea that we want to pass the ball off the net. Why do we want to pass the ball off the net? Why do we want to aim off the net? Because we understand that there's going to be some variability. And we understand that the more beginner I am, probably the more variability I have. I'm perfectly content just keeping every ball at the 10 foot line if I'm coaching a younger team. And as I get older, I have to start having a realistic assessment of what the variability for my players are going to be in different situations. So one of the things, you know, I've been doing um, kind of this clinic series. Um, so I put some content, some of this content online and then um, started kind of doing this live event series. So I've already done a couple of these. I've got a couple of these coming up where it's basically an offensive concept seminar. So it's a coaching clinic, coaching player clinic. And, you know, like all of these, sometimes you might do one that's more general skills. Maybe sometimes you're going to do one that's more of a setting clinic. Maybe you're going to do more of a defensive clinic. This one is more on offensive concepts. And basically I'm trying to help these programs map out going from, okay, we have the fundamental skills of, I know how to set a ball. I know how to take an approach, you know how to hit a ball. Okay. But how do we incorporate that as a team into something that looks like an offense? So we're not just setting the ball. We're running an offense. We're not just hitting a ball. We're running an offense. Um, and a lot of it boils down to the, all the players on the court understanding, you could call it risk management, appropriate level of risk. You can understand, call it understanding the variability. So meaning if we're, if we're say we're a good 17 and under volleyball team, good high school team. So we got some basic fundamental skills that we're able to execute with consistency. So if we get a free ball, we'd like to have that pass enable us to set the middle. We're not really aiming right on the tape, but hey, we'd like to get that ball three, three or four feet off the net, not 10 feet off the net. But if they're hitting a, a, a 
you know, we're digging the ball. So their hitter is going up and taking a swing. We're not going to aim that dig three feet off the net because there's too much variability there. There's, first of all, there's variability in our own dig. We're going to actually be able to drop it three feet off the net, or we're going to miss just three feet further and then overpass it. And there's also variability in our own setter. She may not judge, like we may dime that dig four feet off the net and it would have been a good dig, but the setter didn't quite see that it was that far off the net. We see this all the time in high school volleyball setters get caught in the net and running under the net on uh, balls that are uh, perfectly settable. They just, they just uh, judge it late. So they get a late break on the ball. They wind up going to the net under the net, or we know that, you know, tight pass leads to tight set often so that they trap set the hit or they've set it into the antenna. So like that. So that's where two players were sort of misaligned in their understanding of the variability. So we can't have no risk. That's just, that's being a pusher. You know, it's just bumping every ball into the center of the court. I mean, yeah. on some levels you can do that, yeah. you know, and again, on the beach, right. If you're playing double B the best way, or, you know, even and maybe even a just to be a pusher, just, put every ball in, just kind of hit every ball into the, you know, into the deep center of the court, like try not to make any errors, let the other team make errors. But then if you try to move up to double A, if you try to move up to open playing that, you, then you're going to get beat because the other teams, you're not taking enough risk. Yep. So going back to the momentum, let's, let's say it's a, uh, it is variability. Let's say it is just randomness. Would there be any sort of like benefit as a coach to use it as a placebo effect? Like, yeah, we've got the momentum. Let's build off this. Like, is there reason to, to build off it or and on the other side is there downsides to you know coaches are constantly talking about this i was listening to dabo sweeney uh talk about how they didn't get the momentum in their game against notre dame because they got you know the first play of the game the punt got blocked yeah, i guess what do you see as like the upsides or downsides to using it versus this framework that you're talking about you know i think uh i think uh one thing it makes me think of is just okay we've had Gabri you talk about gabrielle wolf's research on here a lot of times and enhance expectations so if telling the, you know, hey, hey, we got some momentum going. Let's 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 keep it going. Let's find a way to extend our lead. Uh, those are kind of, I think, natural things that a lot of teams talk about. We construct drills in that way. You know, you might do a drill where it's, you know, you got to get three in a row. I mean, classic, right? USA, you played at Pepperdine. Okay, so you played USA with Mark plenty of times. Okay, you got to get three in a row to get a chance. Um, and to because some of that, I think as as humans, that's um, a natural learning process. Is kind of that chunking. You, you know, you, you start to kind of view things as in small chunks. Um, but 25 points is too big of a chunk, but, but it's okay maybe to have some things more than one chunk. You know, I don't, I don't have any perfect prescription for that. I, I think it's totally fine to say things to players such as let's extend this mm -hmm. run because I think those can be good teaching moments. Like sometimes, okay, you have a youth player and a lot of times they get the first two points. Your defense didn't have to do anything. You know, okay, they served an ace and then you serve it in and they hit the ball out or whatever it is like that. You know, okay, we know all about these make them play stats, right? So the other team, if they can be 80% make them play, they're successful. So it's it's going to be plenty of times where they make two, three errors right around. Okay, how can we extend this lead now? And also understand how the other team is going to change. They just made two hitting errors. What do we have to be ready for on defense? The tip. Okay, now we have to be ready for them to adjust their risk and really just try to keep it in. So let's not get beat on tip. Let's not get beat on the short middle. If they, if we're, if we got a three point run, make them have to hit the ball on the sideline. Like we want to really then crunch it and protect the center of the court because they're going to be more risk adverse. They just gave up two, three points in a row. Mm -hmm. They're not going to try to pop that sideline. They might do it by accident. Maybe if they're a confident player or, you know, something like that, but kind of understanding how some of those things things work and how we can work to extend that run. Sorry, one other thing that I um, 
maybe uh, think of that is um, again, kind of going back to some of the motor learning stuff that, that you guys have been talking about um, is uh, what's the phrase we want to um, uh, disrupt a bad solution. Destabilize, destabilize, yeah. destabilize a bad solution. So part of what happens is I think the more advanced a player is, they have more tools in their toolkit to change their solutions. They're going to naturally, they have more experience to draw to change their solutions. Sometimes younger players, they get stuck in that bad solution. So we will see younger players make the same mistake several times in a row. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of also, it maybe ties into that concept of momentum is like we can bleed a few points because it took us three or four points to find the, the, the change that solution. Mm -hmm. So one of the things as coaches is we can do is give them some of these tools to dis, to destabilize these bad solutions that we can get stuck in. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you give us an example of how you would destabilize or even have a conversation with somebody that was, you know, finding the wrong solution over and over? Yeah, I think um, it has to relate to training. So first of all, like, I, I think it's really tough to uh, implement something in a game that we haven't practiced. So I really like, okay, and I'm just kind of talking about some of this offensive concepts because it's kind of fresh in my mind is, okay, we go over, for example, some out-of-system solutions. So we do, for example, like a tight ball toolkit. So we just do some drills where you give a chance. Okay, we don't want to set the ball tight, but it will happen. So here's some tools that we have. And I always like naming them. So anything that you can name, I think is a little stickier from memory. Okay, so hey, let's throw up some some tight sets, give you a chance to under a controlled kind of more controlled setting. Um, okay, go up and you can either, uh, you know, dunk into the pot or you can you can wipe it off the block or you can go up and, and joust. Okay, so we have three solutions and we kind of name them. Okay, so we got pot throws, we got wipes, we got jousts. Okay, so if we're kind of, if we're stuck um, going for that solution and say, you know, you have a couple, couple plays in a row where a hitter takes the wrong amount of risk. So it's like a, a bad set and they just kind of wail it out of bounds. Hey, that's probably one we want to just throw it to the pot. You know, I, I use I like to use the term red zone. Hey, that was a red zone play, meaning um, our setter was in a bad spot, or probably not even the setter was somebody was bumping it up from the end line, and you are in a bad spot. Like so, the combination of where the set was coming from and how your approach, just the quality of your approach, we're kind of in a red zone there. Which means if you go for if you go for the kill, you're more likely to make it. You're going to hit negative. You're more likely to make an error than you are to get the point. So then we have to just give it away. We have to just make them play. But if we have a few tools, so it's not a total free ball. Okay, so we throw it into the pot. Uh, maybe we've practiced just kind of a little snap to one. Maybe we've practiced wiping the ball off the block. Maybe we've practiced covering ourselves. So we have just kind of a few things and then reminding of those solutions. Hey, that, hey, that's one where you can just, you can throw it to the pot, uh, something like that. But I think it's got a link to practice. So as we're practicing some of these things, we can name these situations. And I, how I think we want to teach the scaffolding of teaching it is start with some of the most common ones. And um, what are the kind of the most common situations that we can rehearse a little bit? Because we don't want to rehearse for all, we, we don't want to just rehearse to edge cases. So we got to start with the most common situations, but there are common situations that are challenging for players, like on the beach, okay, hitting into the wind. Like you take that for granted as advanced players, but I mean, as you guys know, because you've coached plenty of players or worth playing players at a little more in the beginning end, like, okay, a very common thing in beach volleyball is when you get a crosswind and it can challenging but here's how we can use it to our advantage and when it's in a little bit of a challenging situation here's one of the one or two things that you can go to when that situation arises while we're talking about juniors um can you talk about stats at the junior level i guess how 
Would you approach it differently than, you know, college professional? What matters most to that level? Yeah. I, I always like, um, when the more that we think about what we're going to tell the players after the match. So rather than think about what stats do we want to keep and then how do we make that into a post-game debrief? And if we're talking juniors, like, so if we're talking high school, it's a post-match debrief. But if we're talking like club juniors, it's more of a post-tournament debrief because sometimes, you know, you play, you play right in a row or something like that. Um, so, okay, what are we going to talk to them about? And if we, if we look at juniors volleyball, you know, we got to, we got to serve it in. We got to hit it in. We got to make them play. We got to kill it. We got to kill it. And we got to dig, we got to dig the ball. And I say kill it twice because we got to kill it in first ball. And we got to, we got to kill it in transition. So those are a little bit different. So, Hey, do how often do we serve the ball? How often do we save aces? How often do we make them play out of first ball? So we get some kind of swing and hit the ball in the court. And then, you know, then you have some other things like okay, kill percentage and, and how do we create, but th that's even going a little further down there. But if you just only start with that, what's our serve in percentage? How we don't, I don't even like ace percentage. I just like to think about it. Um, how many aces do we, did we give up? Because basically if you give up two or less in juniors volleyball, you're in pretty good shape. If you give up three or more, that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of the dividing line. And uh, some, that's some of this uh, statistics that I'm kind of presenting now um, as over the next uh, few weeks, you kind of see that. Um, so if you get up two aces or less in juniors volleyball, most levels, that's, that's pretty good. Um, hey, so did, did we get that or, or did we not get that? Um, and I like just kind of thinking it in terms of how does that link to um, a concept that I can easily explain to players. Hey, here's our goal. We want to serve the ball in. We want to not get aced. We want to make them play. Uh, we want to kill it when we get a, you know, a chance. We want to make them pay. So, and then what do I need to record to get that? So there we go. We, you know, our serving percentage, um, how many aces, how many aces we gave up. And uh, this is one of the things that I kind of sketched out is if we, then if we have the capability to just kind of look out side out by uh, pass quality, that's a nice one. So we get a perfect pass. What do we side out when we get a, you know, a good pass, like a good medium pass, you know, a medium pass, you know, how do we, do we side out? And then if it's that pass, so that helps you uh, just as coaches, why not exactly those uh, percentages to players? Um, maybe as part of the eventual teaching process, they might understand this, but I might not need to necessarily say the percentages. I might just be able to say, hey, we did really well in this situation, but here's the other situation that we have to, to work on more because I want the players thinking about what actions are under their control. So just broadly speaking, from an offensive perspective, uh, the stuff I have kind of under my control is like, do I need to go for it more? Do I need to be more aggressive, like really go for it? Or do I need to make them play more? So if it's, if the message is, Hey, when we made a bad pass, we gave away way too many balls. We, we made them uh, way too many errors and we got to just make them play a little bit more. So uh, this week at practice, what we're going to do is just focus on how can we make better zeros? Okay. We can snap it to one. We can roll to the pot. We can try to just, you know, be a little bit more conservative. If we need to, we can go for the back corner rather than the sharp sideline when we're out of system because those are those shots that create errors. What, and, and then, you know, it's sort of sort of up to you as a coach. What are the teaching points of, of your system? They don't have to be the same for every team. But um, teaching players okay, the situations where they need to go for it a little bit more and when they need to manage the game a little bit more, uh, I think are valuable.